today on Ag News Daily. But yeah, it's a it's some kind of a moving target on how quick and how fast you can turn a project if they have everything all ready to roll because they've been working on it out in the future then the plan is relatively quick if this is just start of the concept then it's a slow process to get it all ready to roll there we go listeners we are here for a wednesday episode of the ag news daily podcast tanner winterhoff joined again gracefully by miss Cassidy zirkel how's Cassidy doing this morning Always happy to be on with you, Tanner. We've always got to get the dream team together a few times. Absolutely. And I don't know if I fully thought out that introduction because how, how do you ungracefully join a podcast? You know, it's not, we can't yeah. really see each other. <laughs> I'm probably a little more graceful at it than you, if we're being honest. <laughs> and I don't think anything would, anybody would expect anything less. Well, I tell you who's not making it taking a very graceful approach and that is the fed there are lots of concerns coming ahead of their next meeting that the fed is upside down on its fight against inflation the last time the u.s saw such nasty inflation again as we've talked about has been the 1980s and that's when paul volkert jacked interest rates up more than three points and that's about six times the pace that we've been seeing here as the fed usually moves in quarter percent increments but when looking at the current environment the last rate hike as we've reported from the fed came at three quarters of a percent or 75 basis points there's been a lot of prospects talking about a one percentage point rate hike coming out of this next meeting Uh, the u.s central bank has tried to talk that down Uh, But ultimately, the Fed will make their decision. Such a move could raise that Fed funds rate target to two and a quarter to two and a half, which would still be at least six percentage points below the latest headline inflation rate. And Cassidy, that's where they're talking about the issue is if you look at the future projection here of the Federal Open Market Committee, they're expecting the Fed fund rate by the end of the year to be at about three, three and a half. While inflation is still forecasted at the end of the year to be at 5.2. So a lot of officials are calling this as upside down and a very dangerous position to be on inflation because we want to get inflation slowed. doesn't need to go to zero, Cassidy, but we want to get it slowed or at least have that Fed funds rate equal to the level of inflation. So interesting, again, as we know that we will report on the results coming out of their next meeting, but a lot more CEOs, a lot more federal officials, and the central bank are warning that we might not be raising rates fast enough. Absolutely, Tanner. And I have a question for you. Does the drop in gas prices this week show any slowing in that inflation? Because I personally saw gas under $4 for the first time in a long time this week. So I don't know if it directly has a tie to inflationary figures, but it definitely ties to demand. Uh, And it'll be interesting to see if headlines connect the demand for fuel to the inflated prices. Okay, that's understandable because I do see, while there are some gas stations that are selling $3.99 and lower, I also see gas stations that are still around 415 or 420 and still getting business. Yeah, it it is quite interesting to see 
which markets uh, still have the expensive fuel, but oil futures did pull back. We now have a, a U.S. report that's coming out, I believe, this afternoon. But on Wednesday, as we record this, uh, oil investors are waiting for the results of that, the U.S. Petroleum Inventories Report. But uh, fuel pulled back a little bit. So you were talking about fuel at the pump. Crude prices, West Texas fell 1.3%. They are now below $100 a barrel. Uh, September Brent crude, like we talked with Tommy Grasafi on Monday, uh, was at a high, but it fell 1.4%, down $1.50. And the NYMEX for August gasoline was down six hundredths of a percent. So it went from uh, what was looking like $3.50 to now $3.28. So Quite interesting there. Of course, uh, part of this might, Cassidy, be tied to the fact that President Vladimir Putin signaled that natural gas will begin flowing again to Europe via the Nord Stream pipeline, but he could continue to curb supplies based upon getting sanctions repaired. So quite, quite interesting. Maybe that has more of an effect at your price at the pump than the inflation factor. Well, speaking of factors coming from overseas, I read on Beef Magazine this morning that within three months, both the United States and Kenya will begin to work to develop a detailed roadmap for engagement. So they have launched formal trade talks. Senator Catherine Tai has said that Kenya-U.S. relationship is critical to addressing key regional and global challenges. And this initiative represents an opportunity to work together on shared priorities, including labor, environment, digital trade, and trade facilitation, and good regulatory prices. And there you go. We can always use more trade partners, uh, especially in the beef side of things, as uh, we've heard a lot of talks about potential oversupply. Um, And then, of course, we've talked weather and affecting herds on that side of things. So thank you for bringing that to our attention. What else is being brought to the attention of our producer listeners is Biden could declare a national climate emergency. And uh, in the wake of Senator Joe McKinn's announcement that he won't vote for a bill addressing climate change unless inflation slows, climate leaders are calling for President Biden to declare climate change a national emergency. And it appears the White House is seriously considering that move. So the formal declaration would open up new possibilities for unilateral action by the executive branch to combat climate change. This could include halting U.S. exports of crude oil, halting offshore drilling, uh, could even redirect military funding to the construction of renewable energy projects, uh, much like former President Donald Trump diverted $18 of Pentagon funding to Uh, work on the U.S.-Mexican border wall, could also impose trade penalties on countries that permit deforestation, such as uh, what Brazil is doing to the Amazon rainforest. So not good to see that type of power being used, but the creative use for relevant federal law would undoubtedly probably trigger some lawsuits from fossil fuel companies and a big majority of the Republicans. So another one for us to watch is to see if there will be some executive action on climate change. Absolutely. And 
One thing that is also contributing, I think, to these climate change talks and weather talks are the fires spreading across Europe right now. I've seen reports of Portugal, France, Spain, and all through Europe, this heat wave is just causing more and more fires. And I even saw a report this morning through a video on Instagram that one farmer had been trying to put out water in his tractor and was engulfed in flames and killed. Yeah, that's unfortunate. And I had to dig a little bit deeper into some of those as well, just to see what what the reason was for the fires. Because we get heat here in the U.S., um, but especially in the United Kingdom, there's very few people that have air conditioners. A lot of their country is dry and they don't have the power infrastructure. So a lot of these are electrical fires started by transformers, uh, power lines. So uh, the United Kingdom saw temperatures setting records of over 104 degrees in Eastern England. Uh, Firefighters also were battling the most fires and responded to the most calls that they had had since World War II. So on Tuesday, firefighters responded to more than 2,600 calls at one point. So uh, definitely a lot of stress happening over there in the United Kingdom. But the last piece I have for today is from DTN. So this August, DTN Progressive Farmer will conduct its fifth annual digital yield tour. They power this by Grow Intelligence. The tour will harness the power of artificial intelligence and machine learning to develop a 30,000-foot view of how the nation's corn and soybean crops are progressing to give you the best insight and data on grain marketing advice and what the driving forces are. So this uses NASA's satellite imagery, precipitation, soil moisture, weather forecasts, and so much more. It's different Cassidy, then the boots on the ground crop tours, those won't stop. This is just an additional resources. Um, but they do believe that this program now being four years in working on their fifth one has worked a lot of the kinks out and feels that it is most accurate. They state that they have been within 3% of the final yield estimate for corn and soybeans, even closer than the USDA's own September crop estimates. So it'll be interesting as this tour kicks off uh, August 8th through the 12th of 2022 to see what types of results it can produce. Well, Tanner, some good news I'd like to wrap up with today is coming from Rodeo Houston announcing some updates for their 2023 rodeo. This is a huge event that has been a big part of my life, especially when I was in college since I was only about 30 miles north of Houston. But one of the big updates that I think is really exciting is that women's breakaway roping will now be held 20 consecutive nights of Rodeo Houston rather than the seven nights that it was allowed when it was debuted in 2022. I think this is a big step for the event as it has been making really big moves to become a respected rodeo event in all of the professional associations. Hey, there you go. Well, let's wrap up today with a little bit of market insight. Uh, corn and soybeans are both down in the overnight. Corn December contract is down three and a quarter to 5.92 even. The November soybean contract is down 14 and a quarter to 13.44 even. Wheat, however, was trading up through the open this morning, uh, looking at December contract up 18 cents flat at 8.46. Uh, other than that, your hard runner wheat 
is again December contract up 14 and three quarters to 891 and a half. On the livestock side of things, we have green across the board. Live cattle trading in the front month uh, up 10 cents to 135 and three quarters. December contract up six cents to uh, $1.46 and three quarters. Feeder cattle is trading in the green as well, uh, up two and an eighth for the front month contract, 178 and three quarters. The November contract is 186 and a half. Lean hogs trading mixed. I set up to begin with with my initial comments. Front month is, uh, both front months are green. But as you get into December, we are trading down five cents to 85 and three eighths. So that's what we have for a market wrap up today. Let's jump into a conversation for the rest of our podcast. I've got to recut my Radio Houston article because I said it wrong. Good morning, listeners. Excited to introduce. Troy Peterson, a certified crop advisor and someone who wears many hats actually in his role in the agriculture world with retail sales and many other different responsibilities. Troy, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Now, Troy, to start this off, since you do have so many different roles that you play, could you just tell us a bit about your background in agriculture and how you got to where you are today? Okay. So uh, I grew up on the farm back in the 90s, knowing that I wanted to be an ag, kind of a bumpy little road, I guess. Wanted to be a math teacher at the start. So um, went to UNI for one year and realized that ag is where I wanted to go. So I uh, headed to Iowa State, um, uh, minored, or I started with ag studies, minored in agronomy. And then uh, got emphasis in swine management as I, uh, as I was there. Got uh, into retail and have stayed here for 22 years. Got on my 23rd year of uh, retail. In between there, I've uh, got certified crop advisor in 06, technical service provider for the NRCS for a couple of years. Um, and then continuing my education or continuing ed 40 credits I got to carry every year for 16 17 years um in between there when I started they said here you're gonna also take care of the nutrient management uh, nutrient management skills or needing here at the store so I've uh, embraced that idea and uh have taken care of it ever since so where at in Iowa are you located? So I can best describe it. We live uh, northeast Iowa, which is best said 24, 25 miles from Minnesota and 24, 25 miles to Wisconsin. We're tucked in the far northeast corner. That's some beautiful country up there. It, it is. It's got some unique challenges on uh, weather. And uh, I'd like to tell my parents that I live in frozen tundra most of the time just because it's a lot cooler <laughs> than anything else. But it does uh, goes from hot and cold, and we just get used to it. The bluffs so, and the terrain. So, yeah. So when you're talking about, uh, I believe you described it as nutrient management. Is yep. that is that when uh, agronomy meets 
livestock or, or what? Describe that a little bit better for our listeners. Yeah, you know, the nutrient management plan, I will say it this way. Um, I, I will help permit sites from hogs to dairy. And if that means um, farmers getting their hands back to the world of all nutrients that are in manure, nitrogen fertilizer, or nitrogen NPK, sulfur, and all your micronutrients that'll be tied with it. And then I will write those plans according to uh, granarchy needs for the crop, corn, alfalfa, soybeans, etc. So that's maybe doesn't answer the question the best, but it does a, a good job explaining nutrients that are those crops will need. And Troy, I know you said that one of your big projects lately has been writing those manure plans. And you said that you mainly work with swine and dairy. So what does that consist of? And what are you on to now that those were due on July 1 and you finished that part of your responsibilities? So I I write uh, there monthly, I guess. So in the month, this month happened to be the worst I've had. I had wrote 16 of them. And we, I write them anywhere. I got to start with uh, corn, corn yields that are needed, then nutrients that are required for that set crop. I have a tendency that I like to have a little bit of supplemental nitrogen just to blanket because the nutrient stirability in the manure, let's call it. And then, uh, just see what is the best answer, best practice that these farmers are really doing and be a good representative story for what they're doing in, in life and farming wise. Now the 16, it's been always somewhat of a struggle with farmers to get all their information when they're really busy. I will reach out to them for soil samples, which we will require, or the DNR, uh, state of Iowa requires. They got to be within four years. Um, and then I will run the Russell calculations, the soil erosion factors, which will then run into the P index, which is the phosphorus risk uh, on those soils, which then will classify whether that's a nitrogen base or a phosphorus based plan. And then uh, kind of dictates what their application rates are on each farm. So it's kind of. Busy, busy, but if you get used to them, you can understand what you're looking for. So why is it on a monthly basis? Because while most of the time crops are being grown, we can't apply manure to corn that is six feet tall. Yeah, so monthly, I when I mean monthly, I've got about 200 sites that are each monthly scheduled. They're not all going to hit in January, February, or March. So every month I have another set that I do. So it's not, I guess that's a month would be a personally bad answer, but the month would be, I always do, for example, I got another five or six that I'm doing right now. Yeah, that, that's what I wanted to clarify yeah, for yeah. the listeners. I, I totally get that. So when you've been experiencing a lot over your time involved with these plans, what have you seen lately as some challenges that have maybe made this process a little bit more difficult than it was before? You know, as, as the uh, 
challenges that we deal with, farmers, uh, they deal with. Uh, being in compliance is always a challenge, not for them, but um, I find that environmentalists, activists um, have a tendency of assuming that farmers are always doing terrible things to the ground. And I have found that uh, they are trying to do their best stewardship on the ground. So, uh, for example, I'm sure everybody has heard the press. Uh, maybe you haven't. There's a big feedlot in uh, Monona, Clayton County, that is uh, has been a hot spot of issues, let's say. It's uh, DNR's going to go to court with Sierra Club at some point, which puts us in the northeast corner, northeast state part of the state that gives us um, more limelight of the world going on. So, right. so we went through trainings in February, what the DNR wants us to uh, be prepared of, um, make sure that this is when we come to an inspection, this is where we're looking for, this is why we're looking for it, and these are the laws that say that this is why we're following the law. So we've gone through training. Um, you know, this year I probably have, oh, handfuls, probably six to seven uh, quarterly inspections that we've been going through from records to site surveys to walking around the facilities and making sure that the records are right, making sure the uh, Soil samples are current, you know, it's this gamut of things that they are looking at right now. And I, that's gen general, but they're trying to stay ahead of sites that they're built a couple of years ago to make sure that they're still keeping up to what their things they need to be doing. And Troy, with these court cases and the high scrutiny surrounding all farmers in all areas, what do you think our rights in the future are going to look like as far as it goes for livestock farmers and their manure management rights? You know, I, I, it appears um, the outcry has been for karst topography, potential karst topography, the fractured soil, the land of limestone up in this area is going to be a hot topic. There's rumors that they're going to try and tighten up the rules. I don't know if they will, but if they do, it could be a, a terrible situation that this quarter of the state may not be able to build a lot of anything because the financial responsibilities will get off the chart and won't be affordable, I'm afraid. Um, that's me maybe looking at the 100,000 foot down now it still has to pass through rules. If it gets through rules, then it'll be adopted, I'm assuming, as a date stretch in the line, which would make the facilities that are built today more valuable, I would think, at the end of the day. But it'll be more challenging to build facilities, I'm thinking, at the end of the day, too. So it, it's, a, it's a dicey spot right now because everybody wants to have clean water and and uh, stuff like that, how they approach it, I, I this is going to go through like regulatory as it goes, I'm afraid. So, Simpson, you're looking at uh, a website while we're having this conversation, and when you mentioned everybody wants to uh, have clean water, there's an ad on my right side that is 
from the Iowa Department of Agriculture and Land Stewardship talking about cost share for cover crops available right. as part of Clean Water Iowa. Uh, so right. quite interesting there. So if we've got listeners that have been thinking about expanding a livestock facility or, or building their first one, what advice do you have for them about how to get started or what, what steps to take first? Yeah, you know, I have a tendency of, I got, I've had a lot of phone calls this year in general, I guess, you know, is this a valid point or if I buy this farm, can I put a facility there? Or say my son is going to build, is ready to graduate and he wants to farm. What if we put a building here? Can we? So I've looked at the the six months forecast of if I build it now or get it permitted, can I do it? Well, absolutely, you can. Um, now, what you find out is to find a pig source or a dairy that's ready to expand or stuff like that kind of gets a little dicey because how do you, how do you handle the financial part of it? You know, but most thing I tell people, let's start looking at sites first. And this is a six, I always say it's a six month to eight month project because you've got to get soil samples ready to go. You've got to get soil explorations. If it's up in this tight area, you've got to get uh, builders and everything figured around. You got to get a banker behind you. You have to, then you have to get the guy that's writing the manure plan figured out. And then if you have a uh, manure agreement with the landowners, let's say you don't own the land, that manure agreements probably can either been done from myself or usually I just suggest them to go to an attorney. It's cleaner. Uh, those attorneys do a good job stating specific laws and regulatory things that need to be followed. I've seen a few things that may or may not be clean enough and uh, an attorney would make the most sense in my opinion. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a kind of a moving target on how quick and how fast you can turn a project. If they have everything all ready to roll because they've been working on it out in the future, then the plan is relatively quick. If this is just start of the concept, then it's a slow process to get it all ready to roll. So, Well, Troy, if any of our listeners are looking to expand or looking to make changes to their plans and crop advisory world, how can they reach out to you and get some advice from you? A couple of ways I do, you know, my phone is uh, one choice, my cell phone. I work at the feed ranch, walk on feed ranch, and uh, that is another location. If they reach out to the feed ranch and they say Troy Peterson, they'll get it to me through the everywhere or a phone number that they can let at that point. Um, my email is another way. Most guys will have talked and I'm kind of shocked how far my name is thrown some days, but, but it does get out quickly and I'll do the state of Iowa just because I'm better formula in the state of Iowa for plans. As for any other states, I have right a couple in Minnesota just because I've got a dairy that's right on the state line. And I actually played dual states at some point. But uh, those are a little different approaches on how their plans are written versus the state of Iowa. But I have done a couple here and there. So. 
Well, Troy, we're very thankful to have you on today to explain a little bit about what you do and give our listeners some insight into the work that you're doing right now. Thank you for joining us. Yes, thanks for the time and all, all, uh, all you guys do. Well, Cassidy, an informative interview with Troy Peterson, and especially for those listeners that potentially are looking at expanding livestock facilities or building a brand new one. So thank you for setting that up. Absolutely. It was a pleasure talking with him. But for now, Tanner, should we let the folks go? Let's let them go.